I want to speak today about the glory. I want to talk about the trivialization of God's glory. And I have a text, uh, in fact, several uh, verses of the Bible that I want to read to you as a preamble. I want to look at, first of all, in the book of Numbers, the 14th chapter and verse 21. And this is the Lord speaking, and He says, But truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Amen. And then in Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 14, For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And then one more time, this is repeated in the book of Isaiah, the 11th chapter of verse 9. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, Jesus prayed in John 17 that we may behold His glory. Moses cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, show me your glory. David pleaded for God's glory to dwell in the land. I don't know about you, but this morning, I tell you this, I want to see His glory. Amen. And whilst there's been a, the desire of the godly in every generation to want to see the glory of God, I tell you this, that this is the Father's heart that not only do we behold His glory, but we also become carriers of His glory to manifest His glory. Now, the three scriptures that we just read are a declaration of intent and purpose. And each time it was expressed, it was expressed in a circumstance of disappointment. In Numbers 14, when God first declared this, the children of Israel was at the very brink of entering into the promised land. But because of a bad report, they decided they didn't want what God was offering to them. And so the Lord said, if you don't want what I'm offering to you, then it's back to the wilderness. And for the next 38 years, a whole generation perished in the desert. In his exasperation, God said, it's okay, Israel if you don't want my glory. But let me just tell you this. Your disobedience is not going to thwart my plans. As I live, says the Lord, one day, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of God. I'd wanted to manifest my glory in and through you, but now I have for, to raise up a different people in a different generation and for a future time. In the book of Habakkuk, again, God expresses His disappointment to His people and said, in spite of your disobedience, I'm intent to fill the earth with the knowledge of my glory. Now you've got to understand that there are some promises in the Bible that are conditional. In other words, God says, if you do this, then I will do that. For instance, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. Now that promise is a conditional promise. God says, I'm going to do this in response to your response, your attitude towards me is conditional to our cooperation. But then there are also other promises in the Bible that are non-negotiable, no conditions attached. And it is going to come to pass, whether you like it or not, whether you cooperate with it or not, it's like a Caruso word, it goes out of his mouth and does not return void unto him. One of the non-negotiables in the Bible, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is not up for discussion. He's not asking your opinion. He's not asking your permission. He's saying, just saying, I'm gonna do it, period. Every knee shall bow to my son and his name, hallelujah, amen. There's another non-negotiable in the scripture we just actually just read. And this is the Lord saying, I, this is my intent that the earth shall be full of the knowledge of my glory. God is totally intent to see this happening and what he's looking for are vessels, a people through whom he can manifest that glory. Now the word glory in the Old Testament is the word kabod, and what it means, it means weighty or heavy. When Paul talked about the glory, 
He talked about the weight of His glory. Uh, it's like when you say, man, that guy carries a lot of weight. Uh, that guy is a heavyweight. What we mean by that is he's someone of importance. Now, the glory here is not flighty. It's not fluffy. It's not, uh, it's not flaky. It's weighty. It's heavy. And it has substance. And there are two aspects of this glory that are seen in the Bible. The first aspect of the glory of God has to do with His splendor, His, his, his grandeur, His honor, His majesty. When the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 saw the Lord high and lifted up and the glory of His robe filled the temple, He said, glory, hallelujah. Now that is the glory of God. It's the splendor of God being manifested. When that cloud of glory descended upon the temple that Solomon had dedicated to the Lord, the priests could hardly stand in the holy place. We call that the glory. When, he, when God came down on Mount Sinai and all of Israel saw and heard and felt the glory, they trembled. I tell you this, my friends, no one needed to say to his neighbor, are you seeing what I'm seeing? They all saw the glory and they all experienced the glory. When the glory comes, it's an upheaval. It's untamable. It's undomesticated. It's a cataclysmic, hallelujah, and it's disruptive as well. The second aspect of the glory is found in the statement that Jesus made in John chapter 11 and verse 40, when he said, did I not say to you that if you believe me, you can, we will see the glory of God. In other words, we can all see the glory if we will keep on believing. Now the glory here refers to uh, God's ability to totally meet the needs of everyone that came to him or the human race. In John 1 and verse 14, John tells us that we beheld his glory. What did John see? What did the disciples see that made John say, we beheld his glory? Did Jesus walk with a halo over his head? No. Did he float six inches above the ground? No. What John saw, what the disciples saw, was the ability of Jesus to meet the need of every person that came to him and they recognized there was not one thing that he could not do and that is the glory of God. Hallelujah. Now my text today is 1 Samuel chapter 3. It's a long chapter, so allow me to, to just break it down and give you a bit of a preamble. 1 Samuel chapter 3 was a dark period in Israel's history. The Bible describes a time where the heavens were like brass and there was no widespread revelation. In other words, the prophetic was quenched. I tell you this, my friends, all your problems, if you trace all your problems, they often begin when you stop hearing God speaking to you. True. It always begins when we do what is right in our own eyes, when we do what we think is in our own strength, we trust in our own willpower, in our own strength, rather than trusting in the Word of the Lord. And that's where all our problems start. Now, the heavens, the Bible says, were like breasts. God was not speaking to the people. Neither were the people interested in hearing what God was saying. The spiritual leadership of the nation was in the hands of a priest called Eli. And under his tenure, Israel had fallen into terrible decay. Eli was the high priest and he was an old man with diminishing vision. But it was symptomatic of a greater problem. He had lost his spiritual vision. And in the process of handing over his leadership to his two sons, the Bible calls God, those two sons vile and corrupted men. They were perverse men and God would not have it. God would not have it. They were, they were corrupt and vile men who did not know the Lord. And Eli did nothing to do to restrain those two boys. Now people sometimes come to despise the Lord 
because they despise the leaders that represent him. It's a sad state if, if the people actually are offended with God because of their leadership. I heard a, le- a lady who said to a pastor, Pastor, I don't want to go to heaven. The pastor says, why not? She said, I heard there are 24 elders there. <laughs> Those two boys made a mockery of the offerings and people hated to give to the Lord because of them. And I tell you this, in Cornerstone, we will never, we will never do anything to, uh, to try and, and make you give. And if you give, it has to be voluntarily. It has to be done willingly. Amen. And we're not going to try and squeeze you and try to sell snake oil to you. Our story begins in defeat. Israel was at war with the Philistines. In their first encounter, 4,000 Israeli soldiers died. People returned to the elders, licking their wounds. And the elder says, why has God inflicted us with defeat? They were trying to figure out why God hadn't helped them in the battle. So they consulted with one another and what ought to be done when somebody suggested, hey, why don't we bring the Ark of the Covenant into the battle? And everybody thought it was a great idea. That was their first mistake. It's called presumption. They presume God was with them, but God was not with them. And that's what happens when God isn't speaking any longer. He begins to, and we begin to move in our own strength and we begin to move in our own abilities. The Bible tells us in the New American Standard Version, let's go and fetch the ark. It's a term of irreverence and I'm going to come back to that in a few moments. I tell you this, my friends, when was it last God spoke to you? When was it last that you had a rhema word, a quickening in your spirit and God spoke to you from the word as you were reading, something jumped out and God says, I I want you to listen to this. I want you to pay attention to this. When was it last that God spoke to you? And I think some of you here have not heard God for some time and you need to be at the altar today and say, God, please open my ears again to hear the word of God because I tell you this, if you don't hear God's voice, you cannot live. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You cannot please God if you don't walk by faith. So they went out to fetch the ark. When when the ark came into the camp, oh my goodness, there was such a shout. They shouted so loud that the ground under them trembled. And when the Philistines heard the shout, they said, my goodness, they brought the ark of the covenant. They were fearful of God's presence. I tell you this, the enemy had more fear and respect of God's presence than God's people. The Israelites went out to battle that morning expecting to win. The Philistines went out expecting to lose. The opposite happened and 30,000 Israeli soldiers died that day. The two sons of Eli were killed. Ark was captured. A messenger returned to Eli. He was sitting on a rock waiting to hear the news. And he was a big man. I mean, he was a fat man because he had been eating all the filet mignon from all the, the portion that was supposed to go to the Lord but his sons took by force. And that's why people hated to give to the offering. He was getting fat from the offerings. He heard the news that the sons were dead. The ark was captured. I think he had a cardiac arrest, fell backwards, broke his neck and died. Very sad ending to the high priest of Israel. While all this was happening, his daughter-in-law, Phineas' wife, was pregnant with child and she was about to give birth. And when she heard her husband was dead and her father-in-law was dead, with one final push, the baby comes out and she doesn't even regard the baby. They, they, they said, it's a boy. She didn't care and she breathed her last breath and she died. But before she died, she said, name him Ichabok. Ichabok, the glory has lifted. Now, kabod is what we're after today, the glory. Ichabod is the same word, except it's got an I-C or an I in front of it. 
Anytime you have an eye in front of the glory, the glory lives because God ain't going to share His glory with anybody. Why, why did the glory depart? Here are a few thoughts that I'd like to share with you because if you, it will give us a bit of a clue as to how I think we can get it back. Israel lost the glory because of these things and so can we. So pay attention. Number one, we must remove the I factor. I'm 62 this year. I wish that I learned one of the most fundamental lessons early in my life and that lesson is, it's not about me. We've all had moments where our egos have stood in the way of God's glory. And we have to learn to remove the ick from the kabod because God is not going to share His glory with human flesh. The Great Wells Revival from which our church has been very much connected because of the Bible College of Wales was in 1904 the greatest revival ever recorded, I believe, on planet apart from the book of Acts. But did you know it lasted only for two years? Why? Because flesh got in the way. And when flesh got in the way, the glory lifted. That revival could have lasted far longer, made far greater impact. I know that out of that revival came other revivals. But I tell you this, whenever flesh gets in the way, the glory lives. It's the same with the Azusa Street Revival, 1906. Launched the birth of the great Pentecostal denominations. But it also ended after a few years. Why? Because flesh got in the way. They were fighting as to who was going to be in charge of the revival. As though that was ever the issue because the Holy Spirit is in charge in a revival. So the moment we try and manipulate a move of God, it lives. If flesh gets in the way, if it's not dealt with, if it's not repented, the glory will live and God will remove. Listen to me, please. He will remove the lampstand. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 13, Jesus, called, Jesus is called the one who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, which is a representation of the seven churches in Asia Minor. In Revelation chapter 2, he writes a letter to one of the crown jewel churches of the New Testament, the church of Ephesus. Boy, that church was a mature congregation. That church excelled in works and in faith, in love, in labors, they had everything going for them. But the Bible tells us that they had left their first love. They no longer were in love with Jesus. No longer was love a motivation in what they were doing in the church. And the Lord warned them very strongly, if they did not repent of this, He would come and He would remove the lampstand from its place. And if the church has no longer a lampstand, it ceases to exist as a church, it dies. There's no longer any witness. There's no longer any light. There's no longer any reason to keep it going. And this is a warning to every church that thinks it stands. Listen, if the lampstand is not here in Cornerstone, we might as well shut this church down, close the door and let everybody go back home. What's the point? If we don't have the presence of God in the house, why did you come for this morning? You didn't come to be tickled in your ears. You didn't come to be entertained. You came because you wanted an encounter with Jesus Christ. You wanted His presence in this place. Let's not waste time any longer. Let's not play games with God any longer. If we want the presence of God, then we need to ask, what is it do we have to do to have your presence? The question is, do we have the lampstand? It's a yes or no answer. There is a church in Singapore currently being torn by strive, by infighting and carnality. Very bad situation. They were in the thousands of people and now they're down to a few hundred people. So I asked one of the elders recently, I said, do you think that God has removed the lampstand from your church? He said, oh, pastor, he removed it a long time ago. And I'm thinking to myself, why in the world are you still in the church? 
Why, if God has removed this lampstand, if God has removed this glory, if God has removed this presence, then why do you persist to stay in a place where God is no longer residing? I tell you, listen, every revival supernaturally ignited by God. But oh, and all because God found a man or he found a company of people that were willing to pay the price for that revival, for that move of God. And every revival ended for the same reason. We refuse to pay the price anymore. And flesh gets in the way. You know this great Welsh revival, if, uh, if you're a member of Cornerstone, you probably know this quite a bit because we preach about it quite a lot. But you'll never, you'll never understand the revival if you didn't understand about a man called Seth Joshua. Seth Joshua was a mighty man of God who was praying incessantly for revival to come to Wales. He cried out daily, God, use me to bless Wales. Let revival come. Save the people of Wales. And one day God said to Seth, Seth, I've chosen another man to lead this revival. It's not going to be you. But you're going to have a great part to play in this revival. Seth Joshua said to the Lord, Lord, if you're going to raise another man, don't let him be raised from the hallowed halls of Oxford or Cambridge or one of these Ivy League universities. Raise somebody from the coal mines of Wales so that when he is raised up, no one can get the glory. Hallelujah. Three weeks later, he was in a church called Blandernock. It's about an hour and a half from the Bible College of Wales. And while he was preaching, the presence of God was so intense in that meeting. A young man stood up while he was preaching and shouted at the top of his voice, Bend me, Lord! Bend me, Lord! And I tell you this, that was the flesh point of revival. The name of that young man was Evan Roberts. Hallelujah. The firebrand of the great Welsh revival. And he lived to see the glory and revival come. I tell you this, my friends, we've got to say again to the Lord, Lord, bend me! Hallelujah! Bend me, Lord. I tell you this story because it didn't matter to Seth Joshua who got, the, who got the credit as long as God got the glory. One of our friends uh, is Artie Candle. Artie had been praying for revival to come to the UK for many years and he was almost sure that God was going to use him and Westminster Chapel to be the carrier of that revival. But God bypassed Westminster Chapel down the road, there was another church called Holy Trinity Brompton. And there was a vicar called Sandy Miller, was filled with the Holy Ghost, and a revival broke out in that church in Holy Trinity Brompton. We've been there a couple of times. And he had to wrestle with the whole, whole uh, Lord, I know that I thought I was going to be one, the one that you're going to use, but you raised somebody else. Am I still going to be 100% in this just because God raised somebody else? Think about that for a few moments. Now, when Jesus first came to the temple, there was a thick veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. The veil was supposed to, to hide the ark, but did you know there was no longer any more ark of the covenant? The glory had lifted a long time ago, and when the glory lifts, sometimes people can continue with a form of ritual for a long period, but they don't have the glory. It's a lot of noise, a lot of smoke, and, and I said to these guys, look, I, I don't mind the smoke machines, but listen, I... You can remove it, I don't care because the, that's not the, the glory. And we don't want just to have church for the sake of church, don't we? We want His presence. We want His glory. And if the ark isn't here, then let's throw open the drapes, fall on our faces and say, Lord, what do we need to do to get your glory back in the church? 
And one thing I can tell you this for sure, we've got to get ego out of the way. The second thing is that we must repent of this fetch mentality. When Israel was defeated by the Philistines in the first encounter, the people said, let's go fetch the ark. Hey, my, my God is not some golden retriever where you throw a stick and says, go fetch. Or you throw some promise and say, go get me those promises. Without the glory, the ark was just a golden box marching into battle. Why didn't Israel know, what Israel did not know and understand, like Samson, when his hair was cut, the Spirit of God lifted, and Samson didn't even know it. He was so spiritually discerned, he didn't even know that the Spirit of God had lifted from him. And so there was this whole ritual of religion, and a lot of people go through the motions. I know this. We go through the motions, but we don't have the Spirit of God anymore in us. He's gone. And we think that we are still being blessed because there's some outward sense of favor in our lives and we're deceived. So my friends, I'm telling you today, let's get back to the basics. Let's come back to His presence. Let's come back to His glory. Let's say, God, whatever it takes, we want this more than anything else. I tell you this, it's so ironic that while the glory was departing, the, the, mother, the, the daughter-in-law was giving birth. And I tell you this, sometimes in the midst of revival, God can remove His glory because I, God is more committed to glory than He is to revival. And the glory we can have in this church, I believe this with all my heart. I believe that every weekend, in fact, every day we can have services where the cloud of His glory can appear in this room. I believe that there, are, there is coming a day and it's already happening that God will heal every sickness and every disease of every person that comes into this room and every person who has a need, financial need, emotional need or whatever, God can heal every person and then we're going to say, that's the glory of God. Hey, my friends, we can't press buttons and think God's going to show up. Nuh-uh. You can't sing a favourite song. You know, Pastor, we used to sing this song. Every time we sang the song, the presence of God would come. But now we sing the song, the presence of God, because God will not be fetched. God ripped the veil from the temple into two. As he was, as he was, as a way of saying, I'm tired of this. I don't want this religion anymore. I don't want this anymore. All I want is a freshness of intimacy with my people. I want them to return to their first love. The third thing is we must regain a divine perspective. Eli lost his vision when the, and when lo leadership loses vision, people cast off all restraint, all is lost. There was no widespread revelation. Heavens are like brass. That's the thing I fear most in my life. Pastor, what do you fear most? If God stops speaking to me. I'm terrified at that. Terrified. Every morning I need to hear from God. I need to have a word of the Lord. I need to have a prophetic impulse because that's how I'm wired. I was uh, with a pastor last week, one of my dear friends, and he said to me, Pastor Young, I prepared 12 months of sermons. In the first month, I go for a retreat and I prepare 12 months of sermons for the whole year. And I thought to myself, that's very admirable, but I can never do that. I'm not wired that way. All my messages come out of a prophetic impulse, whether I'm reading the Bible in the morning, my devotions, or whether it's a prophetic word somebody gives to me during the week, or sometimes even in a conversation, I'm talking to somebody and God says, pay attention to this conversation because I'm going to speak to you. Here's a pop quiz. What did the last judge of Israel, the last king of Israel, 
the last ruling high priest of Israel and last the church in, in the Bible mentioned, what do they have in common? The answer is they all lost their sight before God judged them. It was as if the blindness was their final straw that broke the camel's back and God says, okay, that's it. If you won't let me heal your blindness, then the next thing that's going to happen is judgment. The last judge in the Bible was a man called Samson, Judges 16. And the story of Samson is one of the greatest stories and yet the saddest stories in the Bible because if there was any man who had potential, it was Samson. He had strength unseen before or since in history. Can you imagine what could have been accomplished to that man? But what was Samson's problem? Compromise. Every time he compromised a little, every time he sinned, he lost some of his sight until finally when the Philistines captured him, cut his hair, he lost all his strength. And the first thing they did, they put out his eyes. They plucked out his eyes and then they bound him with bronze feathers. So many Christians are in bondage today because they've lost their vision. When you lose your vision, that's what the enemy does to you. He binds you. And I can tell you this, there are people here who are in bondage. I know what it's like to be in bondage as well, where you're struggling with things that are stronger than you and you keep being pulled back into this, into this um, uh, uh, pattern of sin. And you say, God, I need to be break free out of this. You only can break free when you have a vision. If only God opens your eyes, hallelujah, to see your condition that you're in. But I tell you this, this morning, yesterday morning, I was reading the scriptures out of the book of Jeremiah and the captain of the guard said to Jeremiah, see, this day I loose you from the chains that bind you. And it was a quickening word, hallelujah. I believe God wants to loose you from the chains that bind you this morning. The last judge, the last king of Israel was King Zedekiah. The prophet Jeremiah says, surrender to the king of Babylon, it will be well with you. He said, no, I will not. He was an obstinate man. The king of Babylon destroys Jerusalem, captures him, kills his boys right before his eyes. And I tell you, as they were killing his sons before Zedekiah, Zedekiah was probably thinking, I should have listened to the prophet. I should have listened when God was speaking. And then they plucked out his eyes, bound him with chains. If you're bound today, it's almost because you're blind too. And if you lose your ability to see, you open yourself to bondage and you become a sitting duck for the devil. The last ruling high priest is Eli. We talked about him. Long before he was physically blinded, he was spiritually blind. And the last church in the Bible was the Laodicean church. And this church is important because they represent the church today, the last day church. And they believed the deception that they, had, they were wealthy, rich, and had need of nothing but they did not know they were miserable, poor, wretched, naked, and blind. Blind. When blindness sets in the church, all is lost. A church is blind because the leaders are blind. The blind leading the blind will both fall into the ditch. And I can tell you this, there is so much blindness today in this nation. We have not understood how blind we are and how much in need of God we are and how much we need revelation today. And the cure to a blindness is the Lord says, I counsel you to come to me and buy from me. I solve that we may see. And that's what I want to pray for you today. Some of you here today, you need to come to the Lord and say, God, anoint my eye with I solve. And finally, we cannot handle the holy with unclean hands. I think we've all become over familiar with a God who we hardly know. We've somehow trivialized His glory. The glory departed because with unclean hands, they tried to handle the holy. Look, we got to repent, man. I, we all of us here, 
including myself, we have to repent and say to the Lord, Lord, are my hands clean? Is my life a life of hypocrisy? Am I living a life of duplicity, Lord? Is my hands clean? Is my heart pure before you? And if it's not, then we need to get the right with God. He's always looking for repentance. He's always looking for people to get right with God. And I tell you, the Lord says in the book of Isaiah chapter 4 that we would invite Him to come, the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning because He wants to purge the blood of His people from the filthiness, hallelujah. The only way for filthiness to get out of our lives is when God sends that spirit, the dual spirit of the spirit of burning and the spirit of judgment. And when they come, they're like two instruments in the hands of God, two surgical instruments that God uses very uh, wonderfully to remove the stain of sin that binds us, that mars us. The prof- Listen, if we're serious about the glory, then we must invite the fire and say, God, let the fire come. I don't care what it might cost me. I don't care if it will burn me. I want the fire, Lord. Lord, I want clean hands and I want to have pure hearts. I don't want duplicity in my life. I don't want to stand up here in church and raise my hands and then the rest of the week, I hardly ever sing to the Lord. That's hypocrisy, my friends. You know, when you come to church and only sing in church, only raise your hands in church, and for the next five days, six days, you don't do anything to worship God, and then you come back on Sunday and you raise your hands, that's hypocrisy because you're acting for people to see. You want to be honest with God. Spend time during the week worshipping. Amen. I'm not telling you to do what I'm not doing myself. And every morning, learn to sing to the Lord. I tell you this, learn to sing three songs at least. Hallelujah. Every morning, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to Him. Woo! Praise the Lord. That's why I don't like all these silk song songs because I don't know the words. They're so hard to sing. We've got to stop playing games with the fire. Stop playing games with the glory. You know, I read the story of George Whitfield. True story, he was standing at one time preaching to a very large crowd in Yorkshire, in England. And as he was preaching, a shriek came out from the crowd. A man fell dead while he was preaching. Boy, that guy just started, continued preaching like, no, nothing happened. He just continued preaching the gospel. Another shriek and another person fell down dead. I tell you this, when people start falling dead in the church, that's a good time to give the altar call. And he gave the altar call and not a single person stood standing. They all went down on their knees to respond to the the gospel. A man wrote to Whitfield and says, I came to hear you with a pocket full of stones to break your head. But when I heard you preach, you broke my heart. Hallelujah. Come on, come on. And finally, number five, I, I close with this. We must get back to the right battlefield. Israel was fighting on the wrong battlefield. The real enemy isn't the Philistines. My friends, come on. God can take care of those Philistines like this. Amen. If the battle is bigger than what you can handle, it means the battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. Hallelujah. Amen. And He wants His battle back. You know, the prophet Haggai said something interesting. The Lord said to the prophet Haggai, He says, the glory of the latter church will be greater than the glory of the former temple. He did not say that the, the, the latter temple will be greater than the former temple. He said the glory will be greater. We're not competing with the early church. We're completing the early church. But it's just the fact that God says, in the last days, I'm going to pour out a glory that's not been seen ever before on planet earth. And my people will be so filled with the glory. 
And it's going to be greater than the glory in the book of Acts. All our battles are, you know, the three battles that are close to this, internal, external, infernal. Infernal is the devil, external is the world, but internal is the flesh. That's the biggest battle. You can win that battle, everything else, I promise you, will start falling into place. You crucify that old nature, and Satan will not have no hold over you. Jesus himself said, the prince of this world is coming, but he has got nothing on me. He's got no handles on me, because there's nothing in which he can tempt. There are areas of weakness in my life that I have to watch, but there are some areas that I'm very strong in. You put me in a, many years ago, 25 years ago, we made a vow with my leaders, never to touch alcohol, never to touch alcohol. And 25 years later, not one of us have touched alcohol. You can bring me into a restaurant with the most expensive bottles of wine and whatever, you, whatever alcohol. I'm not going to be tempted, not even one degree, because I'm dead to it. I'm finished with it once and for all. I have no more desire. When I was in the army for about a period of about six months a year, I fell into nicotine and started smoking cigarettes. I hate the smell of cigarettes. You put me in the most luxurious shop with all kinds of tobacco, I would run out immediately. I'm not going to be tempted by tobacco because I'm dead to it. And whatever you're dead to, the devil cannot touch you. But those areas, oh brother, I have a problem with pornography. It's because you have a, there's a stronghold in your life that you're still not dead to. And every time something appears in your feet, something appears, there is this pull in your, in your heart and you're tempted because it's not crucified yet. It's not dealt with fully. And the Lord's not condemning you here. He's just saying, why don't you come and allow me to deal with that issue once and for all so that you're dead to it, hallelujah. I tell you this, the day is going to come where all the men in Cornerstone will hate pornography, will hate it with all their hearts, hallelujah. They will hate to even see something that is mildly sinful, and God's going to put this purity in this church. He's going to have His way one way or another. Because I tell you, His leaders are serious about God. And we're not playing games with, 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 with you. Or with, with, we want God to be in this house. Amen. I want to close right now. Isaiah 6. And Isaiah the prophet has a vision of God. He's on the throne, high and lifted up. And the glory of His robe filled the temple. And there were these seraphims, six wings, six winged angels angels of fire and they were singing the song holy 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 is the lord god almighty the whole earth is full of his glory i've always pondered about that song you know because sometimes when i'm on this earth and walking on the streets i don't see that glory man i see the pain i see the, the problems i see the wars i see the destructions i see the devastation of life and sin and i'm thinking to myself how can angels sing the earth is full of your glory it's a matter of perspective. Where they were standing in the presence of Almighty God, looking down, they see the earth already covered with His glory. It's a done deal. God promised it, it will happen. And I tell you this, my friends, we've got to learn how sometimes to allow the Holy Spirit to take us 30,000 feet above sea level and to see the world from His perspective and to see that this world is already filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. God says, I will do it it's non-negotiable. I'm not asking for your permission. I'm going to do it. Whether you like it or not, this earth is going to be full of my glory. I want you to stand with me, please.
The deep cry in my heart is the same with Moses. Lord, show me your glory. I want to see the glory. I want to see your presence, oh God. I want to see your, pre- I, I want to know you, God. I want to see your power. The glory that John saw with his disciples. They said, we saw his glory. We saw his total ability to meet the needs of everyone that came to him. There was not anything that he could not do. And this morning, I just feel today that the Lord's presence is right here in this room. And I sense that this, this awe, this message came about because last week there was a pastor that visited us from America. He said, Pastor Young, the moment I walked in, I was hit by the presence of God. And he told me at lunch, lunch, he said, Pastor, when I walked into this auditorium, he said, immediately I knew God was in this room. And the moment he said that to me at lunch, the Holy Spirit said to me, it is my glory that's in this house. And I began to take a mental note of it. I said, Lord, is this something you want me to talk about? A day later, a a sister wrote from China to me in an email. She said, Pastor, have you ever thought about speaking about His glory? Hallelujah. And I tell you this, this is the desire of God today. This is the heart of the Father. He wants His glory to be manifested. He wants His glory. He wants His children to see His glory. He wants His children to see the, the glory of His only begotten Son. As wonderful as our, our position is, we are adopted sons. He is the only begotten of the Father. He has a status that's higher than everybody else. He is the bride and the morning star, the lily of the valleys. Emmanuel, Prince of Peace. If your eyes are closed right now, please just bow your heads for a few moments. You say, Pastor, I realize that God has not spoken to me for a long time. I've not had the word of the Lord come to me. I've lost my vision. I've lost the fire. I know Jesus loves me. I know that I'm still safe. But I know that I don't have the fire any longer. I know, Lord, that I don't have that same burning passion that I once had for you. When I got up every morning and I just long for your presence, I don't do that any longer. And Lord, I don't desire the presence and the glory like I used to. But this morning, my heart is smitten. And I realize the Holy Ghost is speaking to me. And I'm saying, Pastor, will you please pray for me? Because I want to carry the glory again. I want to know what it's like to live in the presence of God. I want to know what it's like to feel the the love of Jesus again. I want to know what it's like to hear His voice again. And some of you here today, in fact, I know many of you here today need to be on this altar today. If your eyes, please, with your eyes closed, you say, Pastor, I need the glory. I want to be a carrier of the glory. Would you raise your hands, please? Would you just raise your hands in this place? If you want the glory, if you want His presence, just raise your hands right now. Now, if your hands are raised, just get off your seats and come to the front, please. I tell you this, I believe the Holy Ghost is going to show up in this place today. And He's going to touch people. So you just get off your seats and come. And uh, 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 Pastor Caleb is going to lead us with a song. You just come and get down on your knees at the altar. Get down on your knees at the altar and say, God, I want to be in business with you today. Come on, you just come. If you're hungry, if you're thirsty, Jesus said, come to me and drink. Hallelujah. listen to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.